Well, good morning and welcome to Friends Church this morning after uh, kind of a chilly start. Uh, hopefully things have warmed up just in time for some snow this afternoon, right? Yeah. Well, Pastor Eric mentioned in his prayer that we have about 70 uh, teens and leaders uh, that are just about now returning, getting ready probably to return as they finish up their morning worship uh, from a great weekend of retreat. And so we've been praying for that and continue to pray for them, that the message that they heard, the commitments that have been made, the healing that's taken place would, would just cement itself in their lives and that God's Spirit would continue to move. And we're excited about hearing some more from them over the next uh, week or so. Uh, one thing I do want to do before I get started, though, is to make what I'm calling a public service announcement, okay? Especially for some of maybe men my age that are tend to forget things. Uh, this Thursday is a very important day, right? Everybody know what that is? Yeah, this Thursday is Valentine's Day. Uh, you know, and we, we see these words, I love you, and uh, we, they're expressed a lot. They're expressed in, in gifts, gifts of candy, gifts of flowers maybe, uh, maybe gifts of tickets to some event, or maybe a gift of a, of a taking out for a dinner, uh, some of those things to a loved one, to your spouse, to a parent, to a child, or someone very special to you. So this is your reminder that that is coming up this Thursday, and, um, or you can just do what Sheila and I do, uh, a nice firm handshake, you know, that's, no. <laughs> okay, maybe a little more than that, a card, get a card, yeah, that'll do, yeah, a card. But we love to hear those words, I love you, and those, if you were here last week, uh, that was the sentiment of God the Father to Jesus just before he went into the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan. He said, uh, after he came up from the waters of baptism, he said three things. He said, you are my son, I love you, and I am well pleased with you. And so those messages would have been ringing in Jesus' ear, I love you, I love you, as he headed out into the wilderness, only to spend 40 days and 40 nights alone and no food and weakened and lonely state, where after the first Temptation, Satan comes again, and instead of whispering those words, I love you, in his ears, I think he was whispering these words, I dare you. I dare you. This is the second temptation. The second temptation is a dare. And we all know probably what dares are. We've probably, most of us, maybe when we were children, Hopefully we stopped taking dares once we got past the, the child age. But most of us at one time probably either given a dare or responded to a dare. It's kind, of, it's kind of frightening when you look nowadays because some of these dares are played out in social media and on YouTube and they've become quite dangerous. We've seen kids and, and others that have not only been injured but have actually died from trying to, trying to do dares that would get viewed. In fact, it seems like the more outrageous the dare, the more outrageous the act, the more hits you get and the more popular it becomes and it's become very serious. And so we look at dares and we look at them very seriously and, and it was a dare that Satan comes to Jesus. And he comes to him in Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, and here's the dare. It starts out like this. He says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now this, is, this can be a little head scratching because here is Satan and Jesus. They're in the wilderness. They've been in the wilderness. And all of a sudden it says Satan took him to the temple. And, and some say, okay, was this, was this some way of just 
transporting them to the temple? Or was this some kind of mystic vision, almost like a virtual reality type thing? I tend to think it really happened that they were transported because the temptation loses a little bit if there's no real danger, if, there's no, if, there's, if it's not really happening. So I, I think they actually ended up in Jerusalem. And, and actually it says that Satan took him to the holy city. This is Jerusalem. This is the city of the kings, King David. But he also took him not just to Jerusalem, but he took him to a specific place in Jerusalem, the temple. It's interesting as we think back last week, the, the first temptation. In essence, what Satan was saying to Jesus when, when he was there hungry for 40 days is God's abandoned you. Where is your God? He's, he's brought you out in this wilderness and he's just left you here. And sometimes we feel like that. God has just left us. He's gone. He set us here. And where is God? And so he's got that, that, that framework of where is God and he abandoned you and he left you and now why don't you just go ahead and feast on what you need. Fill your desires. Fill your appetites. And Jesus says, no, this is not a physical battle. This is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle, Satan. And I, and I do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. So that didn't work. So now Satan is taking Jesus from the wilderness to the very house of God. The place where God dwells, the temple, the most holy, the most sacred site for the Jewish people. And he brings him there. And the version that Kim read to us, where it says here, had him stand on the highest temple, it said Satan placed him there. And that's really a very good translation of that word. He actually took him and he placed him there. He said, this is where you should be, Jesus. And so it seems like to some extent maybe Satan is in charge here a little bit, or at least he's directing the temptation. And so now they're at the top, the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem. And the next verse says this. Here's the dare. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He starts just like he did last week. He starts off with this, if you are the Son of God, and not really questioning, it's a, it's a taunt. It's a, since you're the Son of God, since you're the Son of God, throw yourself. And Luke says there in his version, throw yourself down from here. From here. And so it's obvious that what he's saying is not just throw yourself down, but throw yourself down from here. Take a leap. Take a jump. Now, this is, this is a temptation. It's a real temptation, but it's probably not a temptation that most of us have faced in the last few weeks, right? <laughs> most of us have not been taken up where and, and someone said, hey, jump, you know. And most of us would say, not with that. Well, some of us would say, some of you would say, not without a bungee cord. <laughs> Most of us would say, just no, <laughs> we're not going to do it. But there are people that do crazy things all the time, such as maybe hopping in a rowboat and trying to go over Niagara Falls and things like that. You see these things and you say, okay, God, if God's going to protect me, he'll protect me. And that's what Satan is saying here. Uh, Jesus, it is written. It is written. Just a little bit ago when I was tempting you, you said, you live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's written. Here it is. 
Do you trust God's word? Or don't you? How far does your trust in what God has to say go? You say you live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you really? Do you really? Are you willing to prove it by jumping off of this temple, having God come in and rescue you? You can see the, see the scene, standing up there and jumping, and all the angels get into, get into action, and they come down, and just before he's ready to hit, they swoop him up, place him down. The crowd goes wild. Affirmation. Not only affirming to Jesus that, yes, God is my protector, but affirming to everybody else, hey, there's something special about this guy. He is the Messiah. He could be the Son of God. This could be the one. This could be the, this could be the shortcut. This could be the way that I can uh, uh, avoid three years of difficult ministry. We can just get it all wrapped up here today. Do you believe what God says, basically, is what Satan's saying? And, and he's, quoting, he's quoting here Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a beautiful psalm, a psalm of God's protection, a psalm of God watching and caring for his people, and a psalm of God's people in turn trusting God. And listen to verse 1 and 2, very, very well known of, of Psalm 91, says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. How beautiful is that? How affirming is that? And then he goes on to say in Psalm 91, 9 and 10, he says this, the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling. No harm will overtake him. No disaster will come near your tent. And then the words that Jesus quoted, the next two verses, for he will command his angels concerning you, concerning to you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift up you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He quoted it word for word except these Few words in the middle, in all your ways. The only thing he left out, he says, Satan said, for he will command his angels concerning to guard you, they will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. He didn't pick out any text. This, this is a text that, that he knew how to apply and how to apply to Jesus. The scripture certainly applied to the Israelite nation and was, it was part of this protection that God would give them if they stayed close to him, if they followed his ways, if they followed after him. God would, God would have this umbrella of protection that would be there. But it was also, could easily, very much points to this anointed one that was to come. The one who would come, that God would protect, that, that no harm would come to his tent, no disaster you will not strike your foot against any stone. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Come on, do it. Let's put this issue to bed once for all. Let's take care of it now. Make your claim. Is God going to watch you? Is God faithful to his word? Is God going to do what he says in Psalm 91? Or won't he? One commentator says Satan was not so much issuing a dare as he was preaching a sermon. <laughs> yeah, 
It's kind of scary. Here is Satan preaching God's word to the Son of God and demanding an action being taken. The question is, would Jesus be drawn to such an event, to such a spectacle? Would Jesus need to seek the approval and the protection of God and the approval of people? Well, the answer comes to us, and really the understanding of this entire passage really comes to us again in the answer that Jesus gives. And he gives this answer in chapter, or verse 7 of chapter 5. He says this, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you realize, do you realize we are front and center, we got front row seats to a Bible debate between Satan and Jesus. <laughs> Here are Satan and Jesus with Scripture going back and forth and a little theological conversation is like sitting in sometimes in some of these discussions that you might hear people having about how do you apply Scripture and, and how does it apply to me. Here is Satan and Jesus going after. Only one of these individuals is the way, the truth, in the life. In fact, the Bible tells us that one of them is the Word Himself, the Word made flesh. One of them is the Word who was in the beginning, is with God, and is God. And the other is the Father of lies, the Father of deceit, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Both using Scripture. Both using Scripture to try to convince or at least influence in Satan's position, a temptation, a sin by the Son of God. It's proof text versus proof text. Do you know what a proof text is? A proof text is when you pick a very short passage of Scripture. Sometimes it's only a verse, sometimes a little longer. And you use that text to support a position, maybe theological, maybe a doctrinal position that you already have. So you have a doctrinal position and you go back and you say, well here, yeah, it's because Psalm 91 says no harm will come to me. And we end up sometimes falling trapped to the fact that that might not have been what the writers intended. You just can't look at one short verse. You just can't look at one little short passage without looking at the whole counsel of Scripture. The context in which it's given and Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that I can't just accept Satan's word or anybody else's word what I hear about Scripture. I need to look and see and test it. And so Jesus quotes this verse all the way back from Deuteronomy. In fact, it's gone all the way back in our Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So we started off in Matthew, and then we went back to Psalm 91 with Satan and his scripture, and then back to Matthew, and then Jesus takes us back to Deuteronomy. And he takes us back to a time, a time where the Israelite nation was still coming out of Egypt, had not yet gotten to the promised land, and they had been wandering. And in part of their wandering, it's time for, for Moses to give them a, a, a message, a, an encouragement, and the encouragement is to stay away from other gods. 
He's saying, stay away from these other gods. Don't get mixed up with them. Stay true to the one and only God. And so he starts off in verse 13 of Deuteronomy. He says this, chapter 6. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you. And he will destroy you from the face of the land. This God is here. This God is among you. But you need to serve him and worship him only. And then he goes on in the very next verse. And this is where Jesus quoted. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. As you did at Massa. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. But Jesus didn't finish it. Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Moses gives us a little more information. He says this, as you did at Massa. So what's the obvious question? What happened at Massa? (laughs) The obvious question here is, what in the world must have happened at Massa? Because Jesus is referring back to this scripture of which Moses is referring back to a a different time. And he says, don't put the God to your test like you did. And he gives an example, and it's a great example. And we got to go back again. I think this is so much fun. This is kind of like a treasure hunt. You find the clue here. We found a clue in Matthew. The clue took us to Deuteronomy. We find another clue. This clue takes us to Exodus. And it takes us to Exodus chapter 17. If you want to turn that in your Bibles, we'll have it up here. But Exodus chapter 17. And we're going to find out what happened at Massa. says this, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Here they were, the people of God, traveling through the desert, through the wilderness. They pulled into this new campground and they started looking for the well of water and couldn't find any. And immediately they turned on Moses. They quarreled with Moses. There was a, this was a, 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 a challenge of Moses. It was close to a coup. Why did you bring us here? Why did you bring us in this desert? Why did God bring us here just to let us die of thirst? Forgetting, forgetting all of the gifts and miracles, all the provisions that God had given them. By the time they got here to Rephidim, God had delivered them from Egypt, right? He had brought them out of Egypt through miraculous plagues that that were meant to soften and then harden Pharaoh's heart. They were brought there because because of this Passover where they were allowed, because of the death that came to the families of Egypt, they were allowed to leave Egypt. Not just allowed to leave Egypt, but they were 
asked to leave Egypt. And here, by the way, take all of our stuff with you. Just get out of here. Just, just get out of here. We, you can take whatever you need. Take, so they plundered Egypt. Amazing. They got to the edge of the Red Sea. And they said, what are we going to do now? And God opens the sea. And they walk through the nation on dry ground. They get to the other side of the sea and they see Egypt's, Pharaoh's army coming after them right in the middle of the dry ground and, and they see the waters come and cover them. They follow this cloud day, which is God's presence. It says in scriptures that God provided a fire of his presence that they could follow at night so that they could even travel at night. The fire was so bright. They got a provision of quail. And they got the provision of manna on a daily basis. One time they even came to a place again where there was water, but it was bitter water. And it says that Moses, at the direction of God, just took a piece of wood and threw it in the water. And the bitter water became sweet and they could all drink. All of this had happened. All of this had taken place. God had provided again and again and again and again. And as soon as they pull up into this new campground and they don't find the water, they immediately begin to say, where is God? Why don't we have our water? Did he leave us here to die? Moses, we think we need a new leader. And they start to turn on him. Finally, Moses says this. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? He recognized that this was, this was a test from God, but now the people had turned it around and said it's a test of God. This is a test of God. God, are you going to do the, the grumbling and quarreling is we want it and we want it now. We don't want to have to work for it. We don't have to look for it. We just want the water and we want it now. It wasn't that they didn't believe that God could do it, I don't think, because they had seen him do it before. But they wanted it now, and they said, God, you can do it, so do it. Just command. We want our water to drink. So God, Moses goes to God, and Moses does what probably you and I would do. He says, um, God, I'm, these people are really getting on my nerves. <laughs> he says, uh, what do I do? And God says, take the elders, go out, strike, and strike. I'll go before you, I'll, and I, you strike that rock, and water will come from it. And that's exactly what happened, and they had their fill of water. The, next, or the end of that story in verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 17 says this, so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah. means testing and rebellion. Because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested God, saying, and here is God's presence with us or not. And if it is, prove it. Prove it. Just like Jesus was asked to prove God's protective presence over him at his will, the people were saying, God, prove to us your presence right now. Prove to us that you're here right now. Regardless of all the provisions that they've experienced, 
all the blessings from God they've experienced, all the gifts from God that they had experienced. I wonder how different we are sometimes from these people, from Israelite people. How many times do we count our blessings, all the blessings that God has given us, all the blessings that he's poured out upon us, the blessings that come after us day by day, the blessings of, of health, the blessing of home, and boy, we enjoy that in this cold weather. The blessing of family, the blessing of job, and then we start thinking again and again, all that God has done for us. And then the minute, the second that we're faced with a trial, a second we're faced with a, with, an, with a suffering, the second we're faced with some sort of disaster in our life, immediately, uh, <laughs> is God with me? I don't know. I haven't seen any evidence of God being with me. We, we tend to value our, our safety, our security, our protection, to the point that if we don't have it, we question whether God's even with us. And that's what they did. Despite everything that God did, running them through the Red Sea, feeding them every day, the manna was still coming. It was coming every morning. And they had the audacity to say, is God still with us? <laughs> I wonder sometimes if we don't look at our blessings and take God so for granted that when we don't get what we think we demand, what will satisfy us, what will protect us. Uh, last week I had quoted from the book uh, Tempted and Tried from Russell Moore. Here's another one, and it's not up on the screen, so you're going to have to listen, uh, but it's so good. Listen to this. He says, when our ultimate goal becomes security and protection, God becomes a means to security and protection. When our ultimate goal becomes our own security, our own protection, our own well-being, God becomes the means to that. We test him then to see if he is able to serve as a means to our real God, our sense that everything will be all right. We want everything to be all right. We want the illness to go away. We want the, the difficulties in the finances, the, the business problems to go away. We want the, the difficulties in relationships to go away. And if they don't go away, and I know this is tough, talking with people after the first service and saying, you know, there, there are people who just said, God let this happen to me. How can that be? Is God still with me? That's a, that's a tough thing to, to draw. But if, 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 if our me coming to God is so he can take away our problems, then that becomes our God. He's our, he's our means to our well-being. It says this, as long as we see our way toward physical, emotional, financial, relational, or family well-being, God is welcome. As long as, as long as all those are happening, as long as all those are good, he's welcome. But when such things are threatened, we indict God with our grumbling. We put him to the test. We get addicted to the good stuff. We get addicted to the signs. The, the Israelite people were addicted to the signs that they were seeing every day. They were addicted to the manna, addicted to the quail, addicted to everything that was being brought to them. And they said, we want more, we want more, we want more. And as soon as it didn't happen, it's like somebody who's been taking what they're addicted to away from them. And so where is it? God, we got to have it. Everybody wants a sign. For some of us, signs, there's an insatiable desire, addiction, to signs. God, show me that you're with me. Show me that you're my God. Show me by taking care of this. I need a sign. 
The first temptation last week was a temptation of trust. Do you trust God to provide in the difficult times, in the, in the times where he seems distant, the times where your, where your desires and your appetites? Today we're talking the challenge of our faith. Is our faith strong enough that when we don't see, when, we, when we're walking by, not by sight, we can't see the signs. We say, I'm walking and things aren't going real well, knowing that God's protection is still there, knowing that God hasn't left me, never knowing that God hasn't abandoned me. Because my well-being, my financial, physical health isn't my God. Jesus was asked many times for a sign. In fact, you go back, you know, the Old Testament, these people are looking for a sign, but it didn't change. The Jewish nation would look to Jesus and say, hey, give us a sign, give us a sign. And usually Jesus would say, "Uh, you don't want to know the signs, I don't give signs. But one time he did. It was John chapter 2, and he just tossed the money changers out of the temple. And he says, hey, um, well, actually, it says it best in the Scripture itself in verse 18 of chapter 2. It says, the Jews responded, what sign can you show us to prove your authority? Again, prove it, Jesus. Prove it. Prove it. Prove God's authority. Jesus answered and says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. <laughs> you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. And this was a shocker. This would have been a shocker to them because to rebuild this temple in three days, and this was God's temple. This was God's dwelling. This was his holy place. But for Jesus, it was his sign. He said, the sign is, when I'm crucified, I will rise again in three days. That's the sign. You know, for Jesus, it always comes down to the cross. When he looks at our needs, when he looks at the protection in our lives, when he looks at us and our desires and and our temptations, it always comes back to the cross. We see, we see at the crux of this temptation, this challenge that's, that, that Satan had given, we see it lived out by Jesus, that Jesus would submit his will to the Father's will. Jesus would submit his will to the Father's will. And that's what this is all about. Am I willing to submit my will to the Father's will? Or am I going to call out and say, Lord, rescue me because I'm going to jump off this cliff. Or Lord, come and and deliver to us this this water that we needed, even though maybe there's another plan in God's life. But God, if you're going to show your presence with me, you've got to do it now. And Jesus says, no, my will is to do the Father's will. I will submit my will to the Father's will. And as Jesus refused to force God's protection. Jesus refused to force God's protection. And refuses his own protection. After Jesus was arrested, or as Jesus was being arrested, you might remember a little episode with Peter. Peter thought, well, maybe what I can do is I can, I can protect this and I can stop this happening. And Peter pulls out a sword and he starts to be uh, Kung Fu Peter or whatever he's doing there with his swords. Trying to, trying to fight off those who have come to arrest Jesus. 
And Jesus says this in Matthew 26, 53. He says, do not think I, came, I cannot call on my Father. And he will at once put this to disposal, at my disposal, more than 12 legions of angels. Peter, I can call on God any time. And he'll send angels. He knew when Satan challenged him, I can call on God any time. He'll send the angels. But I'm not going to presume my, God's protection for my purposes, for my, for my desires, for my need to be approved, for my need to be popular, for my need to meet whatever other need I might have. I don't need to be vindicated. I don't need it. Why? <laughs> he was vindicated three days later. Three days after the cross, Jesus Christ received his vindication. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he, he was raised from the dead. And he came, and God says, my son, who am well pleased. How many times do we seek for our own well-being? And God says, let me protect you. Let me watch over you. How many times do we demand, God, you take care of this right now. Take care of it now, or I'm going to think you're not with me. You've left me. Jesus refused to put God to the test. He refused to demand his own protection. He refused to demand that God would just take care of it all because he knew a greater victory was coming. That victory came, and that's our victory. God's promises are true. He protects us. In fact, Moore goes on to say this in the book. He says, the devil was right, you know. Don't hear that very often. <laughs> the devil was right, you know. Jesus refused to heed his offer, not because the tempter was wrong, but precisely because he was quoting an accurate scripture. God indeed would rescue his anointed. But the anointed one is the one who waits on God and refuses to force his hand. We must suffer with Christ before we are glorified with him. To seek a security apart from Christ, a vindication apart from Christ, is to taunt God by asking, is the Lord among us? Psalm 95 was written just a few chapters after that one that Satan quoted. Psalm 95 says this, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did the day of Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I had done. He says, don't harden your hearts. Don't, don't take God for granted, presume that he must act in certain ways, that he's got to protect every little thing that comes in our lives. God says, your vindication is coming despite the trials of this world, despite the, the temptations, despite the suffering, 
despite everything, there will be a day. There will be a day. There will be a day. Let's stand together. As we close in prayer, this, this, is, a, this is a temptation that, that you know, it's kind of hard to, to get your minds around. You know, because jumping off of a tower or the temple. And, but yet the truth, when you start to look behind it, is so real. So many times in our lives, it's if God isn't doing the way things the way we think he should do. It's, well, he's not, he's not around. He's, is God still with us? Is God still with me? That wasn't the way Jesus looked at it. Jesus says, no, God's still with me. I don't have to have the protection of God. I don't have to jump off a tower. I don't have to be swooped up. In fact, I can even be beaten, scourged, crucified. Because in the end, we'll be vindicated. In the end, in the end, God wins and we win. So this morning, whatever, if there's something in your life and you've been just struggling with it, and you've been saying, wow, I don't know if God's still with me. I don't know if God's really uh, cares for me, if he's still my friend. Let it be known. Yes, he's with you. He's never left you. Take a look at the blessings. Take a look at all that he has done for you. And then have faith. Have faith in what you do not see. Have faith in what you do not see. Have faith in the God who can swoop down and protect you and lift you up and keep your feet from hitting a stone. He can do that. And he will if he needs to. His word is true. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we go, Lord, may your word speak to us. Father, I don't know what kind of issues are going on in our lives, but I, I know there's people that have been going through tough situations. And Lord, the temptation is, Lord, that you have left us, you have forsaken us, that you're not among us. Father, may this be an encouragement to them. You do not leave your anointed. You do not leave your beloved. Your Lord, your words of I love you are for those who are going through struggles, going through suffering, going through agony. Lord, I thank you for the signs you do give us, the blessings that come our way. And Lord, I thank you for the faith that you give us to walk through the dark times. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Strengthen our faith. Make us, Lord, to look to you, the one who endured it all, who didn't take the shortcut, who didn't need the glory of a giant leap off a building, but instead died for us. We thank you and we praise you and we serve you and we trust in you day by day, our good, good Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As you go today, go knowing that God loves you knowing God has a plan and that God will meet your need. Offering boxes are at the back. Feel free to support the church through your offerings and givings. We appreciate that. Pastor Eric and I are here to meet anybody who wants to talk or pray with you. Go and serve the Lord.